Hi, everyone. Welcome again to our podcast, Don't Blame the CRM. My name is Mikko. I'm one of the co-founders and product manager at Vainu. Today, we have a guest from a company called Supermetrics, Henry Ripatti, who's leading their sales ops function. Welcome, Henry. Thank you, Mikko, and great to be here. So, yeah, I'm Henry Ripatti. I've been two years in Supermetrics now and uh, well, leading the sales ops team currently. Awesome to have you. Supermetrics is definitely, I think, one of the fastest growing SaaS companies, definitely in Finland, also in the Nordics, and maybe even, even worldwide. You've been growing super fast. Um, so you mentioned your head of sales ops. Do you have revenue ops as well in uh, at, at Supermetrics, or is sales ops sort of covering also CS ops and marketing ops and finance ops? Yeah, we don't have an official revenue ops team, but uh, sales ops is actually covering the customer success. And then we have a, a marketing operation team inside. And I think we do a lot of uh, collaboration with the finance team and BI team. So so in general, we have quite of many of the responsibilities of the revenue, revenue ops team. Sounds good. And so that everybody gets the context, uh, how big is... Supermetrics these days in terms of, for example, number of employees, and and um, maybe you can talk about a little bit about the growth rate because you've been growing so fast. Yeah, so we have around three hundred employees currently. Our ARR is over fifty million currently, and uh, so we'll be growing around forty percent yearly, yearly in the past few years. Sounds good. So it's a big company hitting fifty million in recurring revenue. Uh, and you have a background as a Salesforce consultant. And I guess that was one of the reasons why you decided to join Supermetrics. I assume you're using Salesforce as a, as a CRM. Um, how, how, how much of your work as sales ops leader is about Salesforce and setting, setting it up for sales teams and CS teams? Like, how would you say that it, is it 80% of the time goes into optimizing and building Salesforce instance for Supermetrics? Uh, I think it depends depends a lot. When I started, there was a lot of, let's say, legacy things, cleaning and so on. So there was, at start, a lot of time went to the Salesforce and upkeeping it. And let's say, in general, I think currently maybe 30, 40, 50% of the team's time goes to goes to Salesforce or tasks related to Salesforce. So, so And it's not only sales side, but also, also we have different tools integrated to it. So, so I think the upkeep of Salesforce is taking a, a lot of our time currently. Yep. And how big is your sales ops team? And uh, you could also include enablement team if you have if you yeah. have one, because 50 million in annual recurring revenue. Um, how big is sales ops team for that? Yeah, so we currently have uh, basically one sales enablement person, then one who's handling the customer success operations side. Then we have a coordinator and an analyst in the team. And then we have one de- uh, developer in the team currently. So and uh, one trainee so so currently the team is seven per- persons yeah so it's actually quite lean and not a super big team i've had some guests where they're definitely not on 50 million annual recurring revenue yet and they they have 10 plus people in in in, in the team um, and you also cover enablement as as well so Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the tech stack. You use Salesforce, uh, and that's the CRM. And I would imagine that's where you handle and orchestrate your sort of go-to-market uh, 
activities, sales and CS and, and marketing. What else do you have other than Salesforce? Do you have like a data warehouse or something like that uh, for ops? Yeah, let's say we have a ton of smaller tool, tools uh, integrated to Salesforce. But then let's say the largest is, of course, a marketing automation tool. Then it's uh, integrated to our licensing system, our, our billing system, or basically BigQuery, so our data warehouse and basically moving data between those. Then we have cadency tools, uh, let's say different kind of uh, webinar tools linked to our Salesforce, data enrichment tools, um, automated docu-sign docu or documentation creation tools and so on. So we actually have, I think last time I counted, it was around 30 different tools at least integrated to Salesforce. Yeah, 30 tools integrated with Salesforce. And then I guess the data is flowing back and forth between Salesforce and BigQuery, right? Yeah, yeah. So Sounds sounds good. Uh, is your team also owning uh, the tools and technologies? So I, I would assume so that your team is the one that is responsible for the technology stack and uh, how those tools are implemented, how they're integrated, and also how, 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 do you, how you onboard all the users for those tools. Yeah, so uh, let's say the smaller tools that are directly linked to Salesforce. So there are, those are usually uh, owned by us. Then there's a few, let's say, webinar tools or some uh, form tools or something like this that are the marketing team. But the, let's say all the sales-related ones are actually owned by owned by us also. So, yep. And uh, you spent some years as a Salesforce consultant, so you have seen lots of different type of customers. Um, do you have? Was Supermetrics the first sort of SaaS scale-up for you? And how was that sort of jump from and um, going from sales, being a Salesforce consultant, going into very fast-growing SaaS scale-up? Like, was that an easy, easy transition or did you have lots of surprises and lots of new things to learn? Yeah, I think at least one when I was a consultant was that basically, I think, Every time you go into a new customer, they always said that, yeah, our sales is different and so on. And at the end, I think Salesforce quite the same in all of the, all of the different companies. And then when I joined the SaaS company for the first time, especially us, where we have a really product-led growth background. So I thought it's the same thing that it's kind of a, at the end, it's quite similar to sales. But to be honest, there is a big learning curve, especially it's the fast pace of the SaaS industry uh, puts also to the let's say the product that pro. So there is, I think, a lot of learning to me when I started, started there. So, so, uh, and still is, I think. What are some of the examples? Of course, there's lots of SaaS terms and I guess then PLG is, I guess, quite a specific thing and PLG means product-led growth so that people, you have lots of free users and then you try to convert those free users into paid customers and so on. It, was, was it sort of that that customer journey part and all the new terms? Is that what you mean by lots of new things to learn? I think as like at the start when I saw the environment started, one big thing was this kind of the amount, sheer amount of trials and leads we get in that we have to automate it. It just, we cannot send everything to sales. We have to automate this part of it. And basically let's say that in the day-to-day -day action, the automation and keeping that up to date. So it works, especially when the team is growing all the time. So all the right reps get the right leads and so on. That is, let's say in a day-to-day -day term of big learning at start and also the sheer size of the different tools we use to keep mm -hmm. them keep them like integrated and working to, even together. So that those things, and then I think in bigger picture, it's the uh, basically the forward looking that it's not just 
let's say the transactional sales, they can be sometimes really small deals that go fast. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. I would say at least as far as started with a lot of like looking at the leads, not so much like in the traditional industries so are looking at the opportunities itself. Uh, I think that's also a little bit changing our side when we go to the enterprise business, but those are few things I think in the sales process. And then, then, uh, well, then, then in general, also the product led growth side. So how to take that in account with the, sales led motion so so especially especially in cases where sales start a bit start a conversation or something and then suddenly they buy a sales source and so on to take these on account so these are some things that that uh was a big learning to me yeah let's talk about that flow of three trials and three users i know and you also mentioned that there's lots of them um on a, on a monthly basis at least i guess it's fair to say that thousands of free trials starting every month. Um, and obviously that's lots of volume and then salespeople can jump into those opportunities and work with them. And, and I guess they need to be really good at picking the right ones. And then now I know that you have been also building the enterprise sales team, uh, meaning that you have bigger cases, bigger deal values. How do you split your time between sort of the PLG stuff that where you have lots of volume, lots of free users, and maybe it's a no-touch, low-touch uh, game on, on, on that end. And then on the other hand, you have a real enterprise sales business. Like, are you mainly focusing on one of them or do you cover both of them? How would you describe that? Yeah, let's say our sales upside is focusing more on the sales led, so the enterprise deals. And uh, I think the big big part of the time goes to actually figuring out where where goes the difference so when should we start the sales motion or just keep it to the sales search side so i think that is the one of the interesting and one of the things that takes a lot of time from the sales ops team since that also changed during the time and during the kind of needs as a customer and and also our own sales teams like uh size and uh, mo sales motions we are doing so so i think it's actually the part where you have to figure out which which sales sales way should we use so. Yeah. And what is your current thinking on that? Like, do you mainly look at, I mean, thousands of free trials and you at least know the individual who starts the trial, you know, the email address, and maybe, you know, you know, the behavior, how they use uh, the app. And then you might know something about the company behind that person, industry size and their existing technology stack, maybe something about their marketing spend and so on. Do you mainly look at like individual uh, uh, things such as behavior or do you also look at sort of account level insights when you make that decision, when and how should sales get involved with those uh, free trials? Mm, well, I think that let's say the biggest part for us is what they do during the trial. And let's say in some cases when they use a premier feature, something like this is quite straightforward, then it goes to goes to sales but then it's there is uh, let's say these differences like how much they use the trial and so on uh that we look and then also the firmographic data so what is the size of the company and uh, uh, what industries they are in and so on so i think it's a combination of the, both and we are also having a, a project going around that turning the ae to kind of mapping the data around it so so moving away from let's say rule-based okay it's this kind of industry size or this industry or this company size or these actions they are doing but actually looking at a more machine learning and more statistic way on what who should we contact and not yeah and let's say that i i start a free trial today i type in my email address do i end up 
right away in your Salesforce? And do I end up being a lead or a contact in your Salesforce? Or am I still on that marketing automation side? How, how does that flow work? So, so basically, to start, you're on the marketing automation side. And, and when certain attributes are done during a trial, then you move to the, basically the Salesforce and sales side. So that is the current setup there. And then when when I go as a, as a contact, I move from marketing automation to Salesforce. Is that when the salesperson gets notified and they will jump into that uh, opportunity and start working on it? Is that sort of how you have built it inside the tools? Yeah, basically, then there's actually, actually, when you go to Salesforce, it's still, you're not still automatically assigned, but there is these few levels that we kind of put the data to Salesforce. And then, then when, let's say more attribute is done, then you go to the salesperson. And then it also depends on the, are you existing customer who takes a new trial or, or are you totally new customer and, or are, is there outbound motion going to you? So there's actually mm -hmm. then, uh, let's say more automations and rules inside Salesforce to, to get it to the right rep. Yep. And even though you're not using HubSpot, you're what are you using on the marketing automation side? You said Bloomridge? Yeah, Bloomridge. So so yeah, it's a, let's say a, I think a hybrid of CDP also values there. So since we have quite a high volume, high high volume, a lot of data requirements to our uh, marketing side. So that's why we're using that. What are your thoughts about lead objects? Because I've I've spoken with lots of lots of RevOps people and many of them use Salesforce as a CRM mm -hmm. and then they use HubSpot uh, for marketing automation and, and in HubSpot you don't really have something called lead objects. You have contacts and then you have companies or, or accounts I guess. You have deals and I think it's quite easy to map like accounts in Salesforce or companies in HubSpot opportunities in Salesforce, they equal to deals in, in HubSpot, and then contact is contact. But you don't really have uh, anything for lead object. How should lead object be used? I mean, you have a background as a Salesforce consultant, so this is interesting for all, all people using Salesforce. What are your thought, thoughts about lead? I think this is an eternal, eternal conversation, conversation uh, around it. Like, I would say in general, I think lead lead should be basically when you well basically it's a new lead to get a sales motion coming on and when when it's when there is certainly a let's say opportunity to sell i think in different companies that's in a different point where you turn it convert it to a account and contact and then basically then when when there's a sales case then you turn it to a contact but then on the other hand like in a technical side and on an account management side basically because the contacts are linked to those certain accounts there's benefits also turning leads straight away to contacts. So yep. like my honest answer depends a lot on what is kind of the most important thing. Like if, if there is a longer sales cycle, there's a lot of stakeholders, then I think it's better to turn them to contacts so that you have everything on the kind of more account based view. Mm -hmm. And when you're actually selling uh, more transactional deals and uh, let's say there's no, not so many stakeholders per one account, then keeping it lead for longer is, is a, uh, is is basically a maybe a better option, but I think it's really dependent on the cases, the cases there, and I think that's always a little bit of a struggle on the, uh, let's say the attributes of what is actually lead and when it turns to opportunity and so on, when you should actually do this turn. So, so there's definitely not one straight answer to that, but but uh, yeah, yeah, definitely not one, one answer only. But I I mean this was already good that you have yeah. sort of 
some sort of rule of yeah. thumb that if you have like longer sales cycle and uh, lots of stakeholders, then it might be uh, smart to convert them into contacts right away. And then if it's transactional sales, not tons of stakeholders, keeping it as a as a lead a little bit longer might be the way to go. I think that's already a good sort of a starting point because I, I feel that there's so much... Uh, so many people struggling with this with this question uh, these days. Yeah. And I think that's also like in the start that you already like straight create them as contacts if you know the act. Like when I discussed this with different people, one is that if you know the account, like 100% sure you should already put them to contact so that there's also like a technical side what you can do when it's contact versus a lead, like on the account level. So, but yeah, I think we could discuss it for three hours. So, so, but I would say that it depends so much on that company and what is that what is kind of sales process there yeah let's talk about the technology stack 30 uh tools integrated integrated with salesforce that's quite a quite a few tools especially when the team is seven people at at the moment some people they have been predicting that this is the year of sort of tech stack consolidation do you think that's going to be the the case uh, if we start with that question do you think there will be sort of consolidation happening in terms of technology stack because 30 integrations is quite a few to handle yeah i i would basically hope for that and i think it should be i think there's now a lot of tools that have been just bought for some certain reason and now basically when when you actually start looking at a lot of them overlap then it's a sometimes really tough thinking on the side that okay this can do the same thing what does it do as well as the tool you have have there but i think there's a lot of over overlap between the tools also and then in general just just that do we need to integrate even all those tools to salesforce that we have there but but i would say that it's going to drop drop like in the future the amount because it's been one of the one of the predictions people make do you have any other sort of trends in mind in terms of ops both sales ops and revenue ops uh, something that you feel most companies and most ops professionals should uh, keep an eye on something that you see is, is sort of uh, about to be uh, about to become very important for ops any any other trends other than for example technology stack consolidation well, I think one is the general the RevOps that that let's uh, say in my time, how much time I use a week, more and more of my time goes to actually talking with finance, BI team, marketing team. Uh, so basically, it's not even the title of sales ops. It's more and more about the whole company level, and I think it goes also to the tech stack that then that all the tools would use work together and and. Uh, they would be bought, bought like uniformly so that everybody can use them and it doesn't just integrate to one tool. But basically, I think it's it's also about that it doesn't just serve sales also, but basically it serves the, other, the whole business as a whole. So I think it's a little bit tied to, to those two things also that, that yeah, that it's not just one function's operations, but it's it's more about how they function together. So. Yep. Yeah, so going from sort of siloed ops into centralized ops meaning that going yeah. from sales ops and cs ops and marketing ops yeah. into revenue ops makes yeah. makes a lot of sense uh let's talk about icp ideal customer profile uh i would assume that you have some sort of definition for icp uh, but i'm very keen on knowing who's actually deciding that is it sort of coming from the company leadership one of your i think you have two ceos these days um is it coming from them or is it coming from sales or from product or is sales ops 
playing an important role when it comes to defining your ideal customer profile and those segments that you go after. Yeah, I think for us it's 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 combination of like product team, marketing team, sales team of of setting them up and and uh, I think we have like because we have also the interesting because uh, our main focus is marketing data, but then it's also data, so we have kind of split between that the idea can be that can be on the data side if we talk about roles and company like functions that it can be data side or marketing side. So actually, I think it's it's basically combination of those functions deciding deciding on that. So. And what is your ICP roughly? How would you describe in terms of like the type of companies you go after? So not, not so much about buyer personas, but the type of companies you want to do business with. Yeah, well, well, let's say our main part is, is basically the marketing mix and how to solve that. So so it's companies who use a lot of marketing, especially. And nowadays, I think every company who uses a lot of marketing uses many different funnels. So so companies who, who spend a lot of marketing, so e-commerce, uh, B2C, any company that has a has has marketing spend high, and of course, then there's some industry where there's where you kind of know that it's it's going to happen and so on. But let's say the company size and that doesn't actually reflect nowadays so much. Maybe mm-hmm. with the marketing spend, so so it indicates that, but that's not so important for us. Yep. So companies that are investing in in marketing using many different channels, so it's definitely quite broad. Do you yeah. do you feel that the data that you have in Salesforce Mm-hmm. Uh, reflects that ICP well? Do you think it's easy for people to go in and look at certain properties or attributes, uh, data points in Salesforce to define for every account that, yes, this company is an ICP account for us? Like, Do you feel that your Salesforce data is sort of reflecting the reality so that it's easy for people to make that decision if the company is an ICP account or not? I think in some case, like I said, like, there's a traditionally the account enrichment or company enrichment data is like industry size of revenue, size of employees. It kind of indicates that if it's certain industries or certain side, they usually have then a large marketing budget or use a lot of ad spend. But but uh, I think those are a little bit also like the industries are uh, usually quite old traditional industry segments mm-hmm. there, which don't go one to one who who are kind of a ICP. So so. It, they can be from several different industries, but they have e-commerce and so on. So I think like it, it doesn't reflect that like hundred percent. But you mm-hmm. can like you can give like indicative data that okay this this uh, this should be there, but but I think it's not so accurate at the end. Yeah, I guess I mean we know that of course super well. Mm-hmm. That's why we developed Vino Custom Industry because we felt that traditional standard industry codes simply are not good enough at least not good enough and not accurate enough for SaaS companies for example because they typically go after like very specific segments and they want to know what type of e-commerce business it is and not only knowing that hey this is a retail company but they want to know that this is e-commerce fashion and 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 things like that Uh, is technographic data important for you i would imagine that it plays some role and by technographics i mean uh all the information about companies and what tools and technologies they have in use. Of course, there's plenty of providers, Vino, of course, being one of them, but there's built with and Vapalizer and, and lots of providers who provide technographic data, what type of tools they use. Do you, do you use that type of information in your ICP definition or do you do you look at that type of data when you when you work in ops? 
yeah, in let's say those cases where because our tool is connected to certain data warehouses so on, if we have the information the customer or the account is using certain data warehouses, that's really indicative of us because it tells that we can sell sell the data warehouse products there. So in many cases, it's it's a good thing and really accurate on that side. Then in other ways, it's also like let's say that if they are using e-commerce tools or some marketing automation tools that tells that they usually also also uh, use uh, marketing and use resources on marketing. So that's also kind of a, another way of looking at it. So I think that tells us much more sometimes than the industry, for example, okay. or the uh, employee or revenue. Yeah. And I think knowing e-commerce and marketing automation tools, that's quite easy for, I guess, for all vendors, because you can simply look at the look at the website and certain scripts on the site to detect if they use HubSpot or if they use uh, uh, Shopify or Magento and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Data warehouses, that's more tricky, I feel, like knowing if they use Snowflake or BigQuery and, and so on. Uh, how do you solve that? Do you also try to manually populate that information in Salesforce when people speak with other companies or do you look at job openings, for example, if they mention BigQuery or Snowflake or something? How, how do you how do you collect that data warehouse data uh, on an account? Yeah. Well, two, two ways, basically manually, that the uh, salespeople can basically Put that value there or then then also some tools provide that but that's the thing that then how do they get the data is it is it by they look at the job openings and so on but i think it's there's always a little bit how accurate that data that data is at the end there but i think we also use the data enrichment tools to track it but like you said i think things that are on the website like marketing automation e-commerce it's easy to track but then i think the data warehouse side and that's then in like job ads and uh, and more guessing or not so not so accurate there so so there's then always the question mark yeah yeah i know it in and out my myself how tricky it can be we do it these days that we look at job openings and and often it doesn't always mean that they use snowflake even if they mention it in the job openings but i think you can at least indicate that well this company mentions for example, Snowflake, and they have mentioned it quite a few times lately in their job openings. It's a quite strong indicator that they might have uh, Snowflake in in use or at least some plans for it. But as as you said, it's not, and you can't have, of course, 100% coverage worldwide because there's also lots of companies who might not have those job openings and they still still, um, use it. Uh, One one important there is like how the sales people then use that data actually mm. that, that they don't start to call that hey you use snowflake but then you know that you can ask questions around it that it's also like okay if it's not 100 accurate but you have a good guess that what's what's happening there so 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 i think that's also good information even if we can't be 100 sure of it so so yeah. uh, and i think it goes to enablement team and sales leadership they need to coach how to use yeah. that type of data so that you don't like like i said just go in and say that hey i know that you're using snowflake and that's why i'm reaching out but they yeah. need to coach the ae or sdr to reach out and say that hey i've been looking at yeah. your job openings and it seems that you're building things uh on top of snowflake and that's why i felt that it might be might be a good time to speak uh last last topic is uh stakeholders i mean obviously you said that sales ops today covers new business and uh, and also CS, customer success, and you mainly focus on the enterprise, sort of the sales-led uh, side of the business. 
So I, I would imagine VP sales is, is one important stakeholder. But you also mentioned finance and marketing. Like who are the people you, you work with on a, on a weekly basis in your role? Mm, that depends a lot of week, week, but uh, I would say one interesting, I think in our companies, I work a lot with the BI team, BI team. And that's something uh, like, I think we have, well, we have a lot tons of data and how to use it and so on. So I think that is one of the interesting parts that I actually, when I look at my calendar, I have a lot of work with the BI team because, because we need the, their help to kind of map, map the customers we have, uh, the the who should we target and so on but then of course marketing team marketing team generally about let's say the lead scoring or then new campaigns and so on and then also the other side is the webinars and things like that so there's a lot of day-to-day activities with them but also the different kind of project going on Mm -hmm. in the finance side it's it's uh, more about also like the let's say the also how to combine the sales data and the uh plt so the kind of self-service data and the revenue data from there so that's a lot of that side and also then like the integrations with our finance or like uh, invoicing tools and so on uh i would say those are and then of course like our development teams with the integrations integrations there but but yeah like then of course customer success but it's part of the team kind of already that we had a person there so i always forget to mention that there's a stakeholder yeah yeah uh, you mentioned BI, business intelligence team, yeah. um, just so that I understand the organizational setup. Uh, who are you reporting to as a as a director of sales ops? Who are you reporting to? Yeah, so I report to VP of sales. sales. Yeah. And how about this BI team? Are they also reporting to VP sales or who are they reporting to? No, they are going to CFO. So, so. Yeah. so it's more that they, what are some of the, things the bi team is doing together with you like you mentioned analyzing existing customers building maybe segments cohorts or is sort of that up work that you do with bi team yeah so so uh, for example let's uh, technical outside we basically have this solution where we send with our own, own connect connectors supermax connector data to our big query every night and then we return it return it next morning with kind of enriched data of our customers to salesforce since we don't Salesforce, the sales start is not made to uh, handle so much data that basically every morning then we have fresh, fresh kind of customer usage data in our Salesforce. So that is a setup where the BI team gives a lot of value. And then we have also this other kind of alert system when when current customers do some, some uh, at, mark some attributes or do something in our product, we basically alert our sales rep for, let's say, upsell potential or something like this. So those are like projects where they have helped a lot, like in the business, business cases and business in general. So those are a few examples. Yeah. And final question. Uh, I mean, I've already mentioned that you have a background as a Salesforce consultant, but I also saw on LinkedIn that back in the days you have done some sales, you have been at Trainer's House and it's well known for being very good school of sales um, and um, many people doing active sales there. If you think about the role of sales ops and, and uh, rev ops, like what do you think is an ideal background? Is it more of the background knowing how sales is done or is it uh, knowing the SaaS industry, if you're about to join a B2B uh, SaaS scale up, or is it the Salesforce and, and, and data and, and technology side of, like, or do you need all of them to become successful in ops at, at B2B SaaS scale up? 
I think that's a really good question. I think the traditional route is that the one salesperson who who takes the admin role, admin role, and develops from there. And I, uh, that is one of the rules, like traditional. So then some analytic person who has maybe sales background. Uh, I think it's also not dependent on what the company needs at that point. So so I think I have not so traditional side that I have more, let's say, technical and technical background and like a sales for focus. But I think at that point, that's something like, let's say we have a sales leadership that has a lot of experience in SaaS and so on. So basically, I would say when I started, my goal was to kind of fulfill those needs they have and basically they show have there and during the time hopefully I've learned also about the sales sales side then to develop develop that side. But I think it's basically probably the role is fulfilled half a year too late. And mm-hmm. basically the role is fulfilled then that what is the need at that point. And uh I think that's that's uh in many cases why so the sales rep who goes there. But if if the, we look at our team, there's people from totally different backgrounds. So if the CSM uh, operation is, is handled by old CSM rep. Then we have the sales NMB person who has been a sales salesperson. Then we have like person who have an analytic and like say Salesforce background also. Of, like, uh, and so so I think it's it's a lot about the different personalities and of what do you want. So I think there's so many different functions that you have to do in sales operations that it's it's more about the prioritization of what are the most important ones of those. So yep. And I guess diversity is, is a key that you have. No. People with different different backgrounds. Um, if we have lots of ops people and also marketing ops people in the in the audience, if they now want to check out Supermetrics and also see how the PLG journey is, is built, what's the best way for people to get started with Supermetrics? I guess just visit the website and start free trial. Is, is, it, is it that simple? Visit the website and start free, free trial there. And... Uh... Let's see how our sales lead scoring process works. That do we get them to sell for? So how much do you do it in the trial? Excellent. So the the address is supermetrics.com and then a free trial, and you can see how one of the fastest growing P2B SaaS companies how they have built uh, the flow and what parts have been automated and when will sales jump into the into the game. Hey, but once again, big thanks for being part of the podcast and and uh, thanks also for everyone listening to this episode. This was Don't Blame the CRM and we'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.